Good morning and welcome everyone. Whether here in person or listening to this in a future podcast, welcome to Essex Church, home of Kensington Unitarians. We meet here each week and for worship and at other times to ponder life's great questions, to search for meaning and truth, and to celebrate our religious, spiritual and secular diversity. For those who don't know me, my name is Janine and I'm a member of this congregation and part of the themed ministry team. And I'll be leading this service whilst our minister Sarah is away. As we settle in now, let's be welcomed by these words by Gretchen Haley, which include some words by Anne Lamott. There is nothing you need to bring with you to be welcome here. No right beliefs or proof of citizenship, no eternal optimism or clarity of conviction, no boundless courage or endless expertise. You do not need to know what brought you here or how you will solve that problem you are turning over and over and over in your mind. Your bills do not need to be paid and your checkbook can be a mess. Your children may have been up half the night. Your hearing aids may not be working and your knees may be creaking. You do not need to be already perfect or even halfway to belong in this circle where grace meets us where we are, but does not leave us as it found us. Where love resides in each of us, yet is somehow more than all, where life still pulses and rages and heals and transforms, creating us and this day anew once again. Come, let us worship together. Spirit of life, ever adapting and renewing, we come together this morning with yearnings that do not match. We yearn for stability, for even one moment of feeling like we know what's going on, for the ability to predict and prepare for what is coming next. Yet we also yearn for change. We ache for a world that turns aside from violence, racism, dehumanization, and disregard for suffering. We pray for a change in the illness, grief, isolation, incarceration, and vulnerability of our loved ones. We reach for connections that will remind us that we are worthy as we are. And we reach for connections that will help us to become our best selves. 
Hold us in the heart of both and. Cradle us in the mystery and possibilities of each. Cherish us in the eternal presence of love and encourage us on the path of growth and development. As individuals and as people, help us to become who we are called to be. Lead us to open pathways to deeper wisdom through reconciliation, self-respect and mutual respect, compassion, owning and making amends for our mistakes. To this, we silently add the meditations of our hearts, thoughts and prayers for others as we share a moment of silence now. Source of wonder, move us to express and live in gratitude for the beauty of this world, the loving people in our lives, and this day of possibility. Spirit of life, hold us in the heart of both and. Amen. We have a story now, which I know some of you have heard before. And before I begin, I'd like to say that for those with strong feelings about animal cruelty, if you wish, the cow in our story can be viewed as metaphorical and as representing something else. And this story is called Push That Cow. A long time ago, a monk set off on his travels, accompanied by his assistant, a brother. Night was falling when the monk told the brother to go on ahead to find lodging. The brother searched the deserted landscape until he found a humble shack in the middle of nowhere. A poor family lived there. The mother, father and children were dressed in rags. The brother asked if he and the monk could spend the night in the dwelling. You are most welcome to spend the night, said the father of the family. And they prepared a simple meal consisting of fresh milk, cheese and cream for the brother and the monk. The brother felt moved by their poverty and even more by their simple generosity. When they finished eating, the monk asked them how they managed to survive in such a poor place. In a resigned tone, the man said, We have one cow. We sell her milk to our neighbours who do not live too far away, and we hold back enough for our needs and to make some cheese and cream. That is what we eat. The next morning, the brother and the monk said their goodbyes and set out to continue their journey. 
After the monk and brother had walked a few miles, though, the monk turned to the brother and said, go back and push the cow off the cliff. Father, the brother replied, they live off that cow. Without her, they'll have nothing. The monk repeated his order, go back and kill the cow. With a heavy heart, the brother returned to the shack. He worried about the future of the family because he knew they depended on the cow to survive. His vow of obedience bound him to follow the orders of the wise monk, though, and he went back and he pushed the cow off the cliff. Years later, the young brother became a monk himself, and one day he found himself on the same road where they had found lodging so many years ago. Driven by a sense of remorse, he decided to visit the family. He rounded the curve in the road, and to his surprise, he saw a splendid mansion surrounded by landscape gardens in the place where the shack used to be. The monk knocked on the door. A well-dressed man answered. The monk asked, whatever became of the family who used to live here? The monk looked surprised and said he and his family had always lived at the property. The monk told him how they had stayed in a shack at the same spot with his master, the monk, earlier, years earlier, and the man invited the monk to come and stay with him as his guest. While they ate, the host explained how the family's fortunes had changed. You know, Father, we used to have a cow. She kept us alive. We didn't own anything else. And one day, she fell down the cliff and died. To survive, we had to start doing other things, develop skills we did not even know that we had. We were forced to come up with new ways of doing things. It was the best thing that ever happened to us. We are now much better off than before. And that's the push back cow story. This reading is by Bob Janice Dillon the Minister of the Merseyside Unitarian Ministerial Partnership in the northwest of England. It's a reflection that he wrote at the end of a week he spent in Samos in Greece, working in a Syrian refugee centre. The people of Samos have done something that sounds ordinary, only it's not. They have treated Syrian refugees like human beings, past the terror of the rubber dinghies, and before the long and weary trudge through Europe, the normalcy that Samos offers to the refugees is a gift and a blessing. The refugees are dehumanized in so many different ways on their long journey that it's difficult to keep track. But the everyday people of Samos are not lining up to protest the ex existence of the refugees or the impact on their lives. On the contrary, quite a few of them are actively helping their plight and most of the rest are civil and respectful. 
On the whole, they have welcomed these refugees from many lands as visitors and as tourists. The more well-to-do refugees contribute significant income to the economy throughout their off-season. One Greek volunteer told me how the awful economic times they are going through have opened their hearts rather than closed them. It made them aware of how hard life can get, they said. Epicurus, Samos' philosopher, wrote, Of all the things which wisdom provides to make us entirely happy, much the greatest is the possession of friendship. The Greek people may not be entirely happy, struggling with mass unemployment and financial woes. But when it comes to happiness and wisdom and the human relationships that constitute the good life, they seem enviably wealthy. My week has been filled by the kind of people who drop everything to go and help people they've never met. How could I not feel that the humanity I know and love, the humanity of decency and compassion and friendship, is every bit as real as I always suspected. This is not to say that evil doesn't exist in the world. We all know what people are capable of. But I have been reminded of how astoundingly generous and kind human beings can be to one another. The refugees themselves are simply amazing. Many of them were helping too, while some of these travelers have the means to buy provisions or even stay in a hotel, some have nothing, and pretty much all of them have a litany of horrors in their life that we have no, that we in comfort circumstances could barely imagine. They were tired and hungry and had no clue where they would be in a week. To see so much graciousness and kindness from people going through that is humbling and inspiring. Sometimes, with all the news and photographs of the huddled masses, we can forget that these are ordinary people, with introverts and extroverts, creative types and more straightforward thinkers, and every other human variety under the sun. They are every bit as real as our own brothers and sisters, and as real as our parents and children. This fact is obvious, but it needs to keep being made. There is enormous incentive to dehumanize refugees in our own heads. After all, once we consider them as real as our own families, our responsibility seems to slowly ratchet up a little bit. And we discover that we are deeper in this situation than we are comfortable. We must always fight against the inclination to distance ourselves from the lives of refugees by thinking of refugees as a number, or a problem, or a monolithic group, a them in contrast to an us. I come back with a buoyed awareness, a lived awareness, that the refugees are us, vastly different in their situation, but as human beings, very similar.
We'll have a few words which will lead us into a time of shared silence now. You may wish to put down your hymn books or anything that you don't need. You may wish to soften your gaze or close your eyes and take a deep breath, few breaths into your belly, exhaling more fully each time and allowing yourself to relax even more. And as you turn your attention inwards, I invite you, if you wish, to consider what home is for you. Maybe it's a place or a feeling. It may be where you currently live or somewhere you've lived before. Maybe it's not a house at all, it's a different place or a country. Home might be about the people or community around you or something else. I invite you to sit in shared, companionable silence now, reflecting on what home means to you or allowing your thoughts to turn to what it wishes. And in a few minutes, I'll chime the bell to bring our silence to an end. There's an advert which has been on the television over the past year for an estate agent. You might have seen it. It starts with a woman calling, Graham, love! And Graham, a grey-haired gentleman, looking up at the, stairs, at the stairs towards the sound of the voice. He then starts climbing the stairs, followed by a quick succession of shots which show him walking the same stairs on various occasions. Eventually, those scenes fade away, the house is empty and a new family move in. After the name of the estate agent and its slogan is revealed, right move, find your happy. We're shown the outside of a bungalow and then Graham inside as his wife, as he's called by his wife, Graham! and off he sets, but this time, no stairs. I've always found it very warming, and no matter what I'm doing, when it's on, I stop to watch it. In terms of advertising, it does its job, if people take the time to watch and remember it. 
But in this month of looking at the theme of moving on and staying put, watching this advert has brought to the forefront of my mind what was always apparent, but with the company's slogan pulling my attention to something else, I hadn't focused on. And that's the fact that Graham and his wife moved, not because they decided to go on a new adventure somewhere, but because of their age and health, they had to move. And for many people, moving for these reasons feels far from happy. So I've been thinking about moving and the moving which is done when people don't want to move. Moving home is said to be one of the most stressful events people can experience. And that's even when someone is willingly, has willingly chosen to move. So moving because of external events or circumstances beyond our control can make things even more challenging. There are so many reasons why children as well as adults are forced to move. From health reasons, experiencing domestic violence, being wrongly deported or incarcerated, children in residential care homes or boarding schools moving to new premises. And then there are people who are harassed, threatened and victimised because of their race, who they love, or their lifestyle not following the expected cultural norms, making it unsafe for them to stay where they are. The quote on your order of service is by Azar Nafisi. Born in Iran, but receiving her secondary education in um, secondary school education in England, she returned to Iran in 1979 after the Iranian Revolution to teach English literature at Tehran University. In her 18 years there, she struggled against the policies which were implemented and eventually stopped teaching due to her refusal to wear the veil against the wishes of the faculty authorities. She now resides in America. She says... You get a strange feeling when you're about to leave a place, like you'll not only miss the people you love, but you'll miss the person you are now, at this time and this place, because you'll never be this way ever again. There's a truth in what she says. It's not just about the other people or the place. The very sense, our very sense of identity can change when we move. The story we heard earlier about the cow being pushed off the, off the cliff, which some of you look confused and shocked about, carried a message that if you take away what people rely on, then they'll improve. But it's a story and life is not necessarily like that. There's a reality which some of you may have experienced or known of others experiencing, in which they've lost their job, local employment prospects have dried up or been shut down, and regardless of freshly developed skills and abilities, people find themselves having to move in order to find work. 
This can be a great upheaval, especially if there are family and friendship ties which are left behind. And even with the best skills in the world and having a well-paid job, the price of private rent and scarcity of affordable housing means that many people who have spent time within a community they love end up not being able to stay there. We even see those effects here in our own church, with congregation members past and present who rent close by, but when it comes time for them to put down longer term roots and buy their own home, they have to look further afield outside of London. So they're unable to be part of our church community anymore. And it's a loss for all. They miss us and we miss them. It makes this such a transient community being in London and will remain so until more affordable housing is built for people to buy or rent. And that's partly down to the policy makers and those with the power to make things happen. However, there are others who are trying to implement changes themselves. Television presenter George Clark, who presents various programmes in which people have built their own houses, recently did a documentary for Channel 4 called George Clark's Council House Scandal, talking about various things, including how the selling off of council housing over the years without enough houses being built in their place has resulted in the lack of decent and affordable housing for people. You might have watched it, or if interested, it's available on catch-up television. His documentary was followed with a petition he started, asking for Parliament to commit to building 100,000 council houses a year for the next 30 years. And in a few short weeks, it has gained over 223,000 signatures, showing there are many people who feel strongly about this. The ability to have a safe and stable home to live in is a right that for many people in this country and other places across the globe isn't being upheld for them. The distress of continual moving and instability can adversely affect people's mental health, whether or not, on top of it, they've experienced the added trauma caused by encountering natural disasters, famine or war. According to the United Nations, almost 71 million people across the world have been forced from their homes by conflict and persecution. Over half of them are children and young people under the age of 18. Those figures were for the end of 2018 and have surely risen since. It's so easy to feel despair and powerlessness when hearing those types of large numbers, and I know I sometimes feel like that, but doing something small, such as Bob Janice Dillon mentioned in his, in his reflection, from his time at the Syrian Refugee Centre, 
suggests there is something we can all do which can make a big impact in people's lives. He wrote, Sometimes, with all the news photographs of the huddled masses, we can forget that these are ordinary people. They are every bit as real as our own brothers and sisters, as real as our parents and children. This fact is obvious, but it needs to keep being made. There is enormous incentive to dehumanise the refugees in our own heads. We must always fight against the inclination to distance ourselves from the life of refugees. The refugees are us, vastly different in their situation, but as human beings, very similar. We may not all be able to volunteer in a refugee centre, though some of you may have, or collected clothing or other items given to charities to aid their work with various groups to help ease the hardship faced by those in need. We wish for and work for change to come, but in the meantime, Bob Janice Dillon's words remind us that we can help to make things better by challenging inaccurate statements which dehumanise refugees or those who are homeless or even the long-term unemployed in ourselves and in others. People are doing the best that they can and treating people as people can be one of the most humane, caring and justice-making things that we can do. So let us do what we can do in our own small way to help make a difference for those who have moved, not because they've chosen to move, although we can still show kindness to them, but let's make that extra effort with those for whom staying put was not an option for them. They had to move. They had to move on. So may it be. Amen. These following words by Cheryl Brooke remind us that although our time of worship here comes to a close, our work of living our faith continues. In the week ahead, as we go forward, into this sometimes confusing, exhilarating, frightening, miraculous world, may we offer our comfort to the afflicted, our love to those who are lonely, and our wish for all to be safe. And may we go in peace, and blessed be. Amen.